guys welcome back to afk discussions i am back from vacation as always i'm joined by jason how's it going jason pretty good man how's it going uh dude it's it's been it's been a hard week coming back like midweek and and having a lot of stuff going on um but we have a special guest today uh author filmmaker stand-up comedian brad c hodson welcome sir to afk discussions how are you no, I'm doing great, Ty. Thanks uh, to you and Jason for having me on. No, it's it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, dude. Brad and I go way back, like the '90s. We went to high school together, and it's going to be so awesome just to catch up and kind of find out what's been going on in his life because we kind of we haven't been really in touch uh, over the past couple of years. I guess you know, COVID happened, and I don't know. Everything just went to crap. So. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that kind of sums it up, I think. <laughs> yeah, where'd you guys go to high school at? Is, is it around Knoxville? You guys went to high school in Knoxville or Powell High School? Powell, Powell. you gotta say it like yeah. that. You have to say it like, like a local Powell. 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 <laughs> That's uh, everybody always mispronounces everything. That's I. I always think it's funny. Uh, I think is it uh, Brad Pitt's character in Inglorious Bastards is from uh, Maryville. But he yeah. says, but he says Maryville, and it's like, <laughs> oh no, man! Like that's nobody, nobody from around there actually pronounces it. It's Merville, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's funny because it's uh, it's Blunt County, but it's spelled Blount, B L O U U N T. Yeah. So um, <laughs> my, I can't spell. Forgive my me. favorite, uh, my favorite local mispronunciation is in Powell. In Powell, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a Dante Road, but uh, everybody calls it Daney. <laughs> yeah I, I think i may have told you about that ty i have a friend uh he's like yeah i live off Danny." i was like dude i mean it, it's he's not even from tennessee but everyone calls it Danny, so we just started calling it Danny. i was like it's dante he's like i thought that's what it was but that's the way everyone <laughs> says it's Danny, so i just I mean, went with it that's what it, it's that's high value pal education for you dude. That's, <laughs> that's what it is that's uh yeah that's that's what happens when you stop focusing on the humanities. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember uh, Robert Powers? Oh yeah. Ro- Robert Robert was one of my my favorite people. Uh, Robert was a uh, uh, Robert was Korean. Uh, always uh, wore a big old cowboy hat and listened to gangster rap. Dude, <laughs> walking contradictions. I love it, dude. Yeah. That's so awesome. Great guy. Though. Great guy. <laughs> I'm I'm really glad, dude, it, that it's spooky season. This is your season, Brad. Man, spooky season is here. Halloween, my right favorite time corner. of year. My favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. Just put put all the pumpkin spice in my veins. Right, I did. I'm a dude. I'm a sucker for pumpkin spice. People think that it that it's limited to women, and I'm here to tell you uh, that is not true, sir. I enjoy a good anything pumpkin spice. Oh man, you I'm, got, I'm you, you got your cinnamon. You got your nutmeg. Like, how can you go wrong? You can't, you can't. And I've been drowning myself in uh, horror movies here, like in the past couple of days, I guess, I guess horror, thriller, gore. I've been watching some Rob Zombies, Rob Zombie movies. I've been watching like um, House of a Thousand Corpses. I just watched The Witch not too long ago. I've just, I've just kind of been, oh man, the cinematography in that, the cinemat, I said cinematography. That's funny. Yeah. The cinematography of that is is absolutely amazing, and and the actors are really really good, and it, it's a really really good story, man. I I've been I've been really missing some some of the horror genre here lately. Um, 
and, it, and it's nice to get back into it, especially during this season. Yeah, I just watched uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark with my kids, who were probably a little too young for it, and uh, they got thoroughly creeped out. <laughs> uh, my uh, my six year old <clears throat> used to when he was younger, he loved the uh, the uh, Who Has My Toe story from the book. Okay. And then when that segment came on the movie, he just like immediately ran out of the room and hid in the kitchen until. <laughs> And then he comes back in. He comes back in with his chest all puffed out, and he's like, "That wasn't scary." <laughs> yeah. like, you weren't even in the room, man. What he, had to, he had to regroup. That's all. That's all, dude. He just had to regroup. <laughs> That's funny, man. Hey, uh, speaking of watching stuff with your kids, um, we watched uh, Werewolf at Night. Um, we've actually watched it twice now, and the kids love it. Have you got a chance to see that, Brad? Oh yeah, yeah. That was great. Uh, I, I love. <clears throat> I love how well it captured the feel of an old 1940s universal horror flick. Uh, yeah, from, it was from it the was black so and good. white atmosphere to just kind of like the slow build. Everyone sitting around in the room and, and, and talking and like trading barbs and, you know, um, until you get up to uh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, man thing, which was great. Uh, yeah. I love man thing so much and it's just, you know, spoiler alert again. Ted, <laughs> oh, that yeah. just cracked me up because I yeah. mean he, that's his name in the comics. I know you you know he was a scientist <laughs> and he was trying to recreate the super soldier serum and he you know tried it on himself and became man thing. But they're like Ted, I, I like your name, Ted. <laughs> it's just it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to more Marvel horror because that's what. Well, I mean, you remember this, I'm sure, Jason, like how much we were just all into like Ghost Rider and the Midnight Suns and all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, the Wesley that- Snipes Blade. I mean, come on. Wesley Snipes Blade. Yeah. I mean, that I wish he could come still, back. That movie is still just one of like the coolest things ever. <laughs> definitely. I mean, it, it like really defined a genre. Um, Plus, it's got my uh, uh, one of my favorite lines from any movie in it, and uh, I don't know if you'll have to bleep this or what. But it's when he, at the end when he like just looks at Stephen Dorff and he goes, "Man, some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill." <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah, those. Uh, and when you were talking about um, Ghost Rider, are you talking about Nicolas Cage, or are we talking about well the comic books pre? Okay, pre. Okay, you're they talking pre Nicolas Cage. Okay, yeah, they yeah. were very uh, like very dark horror comics. Uh, they had a real like, kind of like sometimes like a tales from the crypt vibe to them. Ooh, um, okay. I like yeah, that. And uh, yeah, you know, Nick cage gets in. He's basically, I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Nick cage for being Nick cage. Uh, and, and the movie's fun, but like he's like doing Elvis or something in it. Like I just remember. <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah, whole totally. thing he's, like, he's like, man, it's like my skull's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I think my favorite iteration of Ghost Rider so far is in Agents of Shield. Oh yeah, the Robbie Reyes. I haven't seen yeah. all of them, but I've watched some clips and and like that was that was pretty pretty badass. He, he yeah he he does a really really good job. I think I think that they really really cover it really well. Especially like it has a a more modern vibe to it as well. Yeah, um, which makes it more relevant. I feel like and more relatable. So it, they did a really good job to with that. I love Agents of Shield. If you haven't had a chance to sit down and watch through it, I mean, it's. I just think it's a great series. I know a lot of people give it some hate, but man, I love everything about it. I think it's a great show. Yeah, I should check it out sometime. 
with, with the kids. There's just so much. And I say this as someone who grew up on Marvel comics. Uh, like I remember going to see the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie in the theater and felt like I was watching my best friend on screen. <laughs> you know, like, like that's how much as a kid I, I, I read uh, Spider-Man and I, but like, there's so much Marvel. I can't keep up anymore. Yeah. Marvel's such a beast right now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I still collect some Marvel comics, but um, I collect a lot of independent books now. Um, there's, it just there's so many really really good horror comics I've been collecting, um, like Nice House on the Lake. Oh, dude, that's so good! If you haven't had a chance, check it out. It's, oh it's yeah, really I should good. check that out. Yeah, I was uh, uh, I hadn't read comics in forever, and then I was working uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, adapting a horror novel uh, written by Don Roth. Uh, this great book, Claire at sixteen. Uh, I. Uh, was adapting it uh, as a comic book series at Webtoon, and um, it's been it's been put on hold. I don't I don't know if it'll ever happen or not. But the movie's being shot right now. The film adaptation of Don's book. So I'm hoping maybe when that comes out, the comic book will will kick back up because I wrote about I wrote the first twelve issues and uh, and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, there's just something very um, I don't know like a horror 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 and the comic book medium just mesh so well together yeah definitely they're like dark comics are, are always like i feel like there are some characters that are just violent super violent in nature um and and one of those being like like batman for example right like the very dark batman comics are are really really good and really really well written i i really thoroughly enjoy those things yeah so speaking of writing, Brad, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of pick your brain here. I know that uh, uh, Jason's got you here, but while I've got you here, I'm gonna take advantage of you. Um, what, what are <laughs> that's what not are the first time of, I heard that, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> what are like I, I've been watching so so much horror lately. Like, what are the are some of the key ingredients that, in your personal opinion, that makes a good horror novel or a horror film? That's a huge question, my friend. The horror genre is, um, it's interesting in that opposed to, I think, any other genre, there is such a huge umbrella. Um, you know, you take something uh, something like The Haunting of Hill House, right? Oh, I love it. I watched it recently. I love right. it. You know, and uh, in the novel, the Shirley Jackson novel it's based on, you know, fantastic. The old 1963 black and white film adaptation, The Haunting, directed by Robert Wise, one of my favorite uh, scary movies of all time. But that's such a different film than, say, something like House of a Thousand Corpses, yep. um, which is so radically different from uh, the Sam Raimi's The Gift starring Kate Blanchett, if you've never seen it, or, uh, um, you know, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Like, Very there's just good. this huge umbrella of all these, these radically different types of horror that all fit together. You know, and you can have everything from comedy to to splatterpunk to torture porn on one end, and then on the other end, you can have a very character driven, psychological, quiet horror, uh, moody, atmospheric, ghost stories. Um, you know, vampires, werewolves, uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! You know, and it all it's all horror, but it's so radically different from one another yeah. that it's hard to say what exactly makes a good horror movie because. Uh, or, or even, you know, a horror book, because on the surface you would say, well, 
you know, it, it's got to be scary. But that's not always true. Like a lot of great horror is just fun. You know, um, you go into it again, whether it's it's a horror comedy, something like Shaun of the Dead or uh, Evil Dead 2 or, um, you know, one of one of my favorite horror flicks of the last couple of years is Ready or Not. Did you see that with uh, Samara mm. Weaving? I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, man, that movie is so much fun. Or um, uh, Freaky with uh, Vince Vaughn, uh, written by uh, Michael Kennedy. I um, did that. See that. That is very yeah. funny. That yeah. is a very that's a very good one. But but yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of horror isn't necessarily meant to even be scary. It's just kind of a fun roller coaster ride. Um, so it's it's hard to say what truly makes great horror in general. Me personally, what I tend to be drawn to is either something fun, you know, that's just just meant to be like a fun ride, or something very character driven atmospheric that tends to be dealing with a serious topic using the the horror genre as a way to deal with it i mean probably the biggest example of that and the most famous is uh the shining yeah stephen king famously has said that he didn't realize until years after he'd published the shining that he was writing about his own alcoholism and how it was destroying his family and hmm. it's all over that story. You read the book or you watch the movie. I mean, that is what it's about. It's 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 pretty blatant. It's in your face that yeah. it's it's a story about how alcoholism tears a family apart. And um, you know, one one that's always been kind of uh, dear to me. And the movies are kind of cheesy, so they they don't they don't quite have the impact. I I, I just recently rewatched the 1989 adaptation of uh, Pet Cemetery. Is what I'm talking about. With a uh, uh, with one of my best friends, and um, and it doesn't it doesn't hit you the way the book does. I can't read the book anymore. Um, the book is such a profound and heart wrenching look at what it's like to lose a child. Yeah, and it's it's <clears throat> it's a it's a hard read uh, as a result of it. And you know the movies, both adaptations, I feel just kind of lean into the like. Like, oh, there's, you know, basically zombies. Oh, look how, like, how dangerous this would be. These cheesy zombies trying to cut you up or whatever, you know. Right, right. But that's not the power of the book. I mean, like, they don't show up for three-fourths of the book. And the book is about dealing with with the death of a child. And and it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's something that I think the horror genre deals with very well. Harlan Ellison. I, th- I think this was Harlan Ellison. I always attribute this quote to him anyway. Uh, but uh, once said that uh, the horror genre is a genre that allows us to deal with a topic that we can only deal with through our imagination. Ooh, and that's very interesting. I like that. Yeah, it's and, and it's true across the board. I mean, all the best horror is in some way about loss. Um, horror is often a very sad genre as a result when it's done really well, um, you know, again, excluding things that are just meant to be fun or funny or kind of, you know, slasher yeah. movies or, or torture. Of porn course. Or something. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, you look at an- another great example, again, dealing with the loss of a child is, uh, Anne Rice, uh, interview with the vampire. Um, she'd mm-hmm. lost a daughter and, um, Claudia, the, the young girl that, that Louis, and uh, Lestat turned into a vampire was 
that that was Anne Rice dealing with the loss of her child, wishing that there was a way that that death children didn't have to die, you know? Yeah. And she put that out on the page. Um, so even when you're talking monsters, you know, vampires, werewolves and all this, you, you still kind of get that element in there of, of us just struggling with this, this question that's plagued us since we, you know, first crawled down out of the trees, you know, is, is why do we have to die? What happens when we die? And when the people closest to us die, how do we go on? That's such an interesting way to look at it because I don't think I've ever looked at the, the horror genre through that lens. Um, of course, I've always seen horror as it can be funny and it, and it can um, tell a story or get to like a certain chord, but I, I didn't look at it to those depths, right? Like losing the child is probably one of the hardest things that, that a parent has to go through. Yeah. Um, and, and, there's lots more stories being told and uh, about like race and, and gender and, and alcoholism and, and everything like that. So that's, I, I've never really have, have taken a microscope to it and looked at it that deeply. Um, but that's very interesting that you brought it up and, and that your view is that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, uh, you, you touched on societal issues too. I mean, I, I was talking about the personal, but but these big kind of social and political issues have always been there in horror also. Uh, you know, the probably the most famous recent example is Get Out. Yes. Um, oh, I love it. Jordan yeah. Peele is awesome. Yeah, fantastic movie uh, dealing with, with uh, race, excuse me, race in America kind of head on. Um, but, <laughs> excuse me, the um, those kind of big issues have always been there in horror, uh, going back to Stephen King, one of my favorite books of his is Salem's Lot. And, uh, even though it's about vampires and all this, uh, Salem's Lot at its core, you know, he wrote that in the seventies. It was about Richard Nixon's America, you know, like post Watergate, yeah. you know, this kind of small town, like everybody having their secrets and kind of turning on each other and, and being weary of outsiders and all this, uh, another great, great book, uh, by King is the dead zone. Um, you know, which deals with the idea again, he wrote this in the seventies of the kind of like populist politics and politicians that we're getting now that are kind of like, have almost like cult like followings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I mean, God, this goes back to, uh, Dracula, you know, um, uh, in many ways, Dracula was kind of the the fears of Victorian England about the outsiders that were pouring in. You know, uh, Victorian London was the center of the world, and there was yeah. a massive influx of immigration and all this. And and in many ways, Count Dracula represents all of these fears of Victorian society put into this one character, not to mention like the sexuality and everything that's there as well. Um, and you know, and that, and that continues on up, uh, Clive Barker, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work and you know, it's rife with, um, with depictions of transgressive sexuality. I mean, you had, you know, Barker publishing fiction in the early 1980s, with openly gay characters. You had things like the Hellbound Heart, which Hellraiser's based on, which is all, all about, uh, you know, the S&M subculture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of like uh, kind of 
um, a gender and, and um, uh, transgender kind of identity uh, politics kind of weaved into, into some of that. And, you know, and this was in the early eighties and horror in that regard is, it's always been kind of a genre that allows those questions to be asked and explored years before society as a whole is ready to tackle them. Yeah. And I've always found that incredibly engrossing about the genre when it's done well. Yeah, and it gives people an outlet, right? Uh, it gives authors like yourself and filmmakers, and it, it gives people an outlet to express themselves, and it gives other people outlets to see that expression and to sympathize with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really kind of a kind of a, a mind opening genre. Um, and it's a shame. I feel. I feel like as a genre, it's gotten a bad rep because again, there's a small piece of it that has kind of become the face of it to outsiders. That it's all just you know buxom women being chased through the woods and tortured by a guy in a mask and a machete. Yeah. You know? And that's such a small piece of what constitutes horror. You know. I mean, you've had you have writers as diverse as. Shirley Jackson, Edith Wharton, uh, Charles Dickens, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who who all wrote in the genre, and um, you know, but for for most people today, I, I talk to people all the time who are like, "Oh, I don't like horror," and you're like, "Oh, why not?" And you know, they'll cite something like Hostel or you know, a bad Friday the Thirteenth sequel. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I love Friday the Thirteenth movies, but <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, and, I'm a fan uh, of the Hostel movies, honestly. Yeah, yeah, but I get it from an outsider standpoint. You know, if that's not if that's not your cup of tea, that's going to be a big turnoff. Um, right. But they think that that's the entire genre, and then you start kind of picking their brain, and they'll you'll find that there's something horror that they love that they never thought of as horror. You know, a lot of people don't think of Silence of the Lambs as horror. A lot of people don't think of Jaws as horror. And Jaws oh, is, a, is a quintessential feature. monster movie. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't think of it that way because they think that they don't like the genre, and so therefore this thing that they do like couldn't possibly be part of the genre. Yeah. You know? All the way down to the jump scares. I mean. Oh it, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's the way it builds tension. The gore in Jaws. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah. You know, there's a lot going on in Jaws. You can make the argument Jaws is an adventure movie. Jaws is this. Jaws is that. But but. If you took the horror out of Jaws, it wouldn't be Jaws. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean that's true. No, I'm I'm a sucker for for a freakishly weird animal. Um, I'm down for Lake Placid, Deep Blue Sea, oh, uh, yeah. Antler. I, I mean anything like uh, eight legged freaks. I mean I- I- anything with with weird creatures like i'm a creature feature kind of kind of guy so i know we got deep in the rabbit hole really quickly there jason i didn't mean to i didn't mean to ask such a deep question so quickly there um, no no i mean I, I have some you know some stuff to throw in there with it um it's kind of you know draw it back to the how horror um you know hits the hard topics um i don't know if you guys have seen lovecraft country that I mean, oh, yeah. that is just have, incredible yeah. um Growing up in the South, um, I didn't really get taught in school about the, you know, the suntown, sundown towns where um, if you were not white, you were allowed to be pretty much beaten or shot or even, I mean, whatever they wanted to do yeah. if you were out after sundown. And I didn't, I didn't even re- know anything until I watched Lovecraft Country. <laughs> That's so crazy to think that all this happened and, you know, 
we weren't taught about it in in schools, you know. Um, yeah, it seems like something they they should teach kids because I mean it's important to know our history so it doesn't repeat, you know. Yeah. Well, that's always been a a kind of thorn in America's side is we want to pretend that the bad things never happened instead of actually dealing with them because you know we're we're a great country we have a lot of good good we do in the world we have a lot of good that that we're proud of you know we're a patriotic people um and so we like to lie to ourselves and pretend that uh nothing bad ever happened here and you know the horror genre has has always been a genre that kind of shines a light on that even when done in like a tacky way i mean how many how many haunted house movies have as their basis? Oh, it was built on a Native American burial ground. Oh my gosh! You <laughs> yeah, can't, yeah, like, yeah. It's such a cliche now. But even though like that wasn't always handled well and, and is tacky in most of them, that's a kind of represents this um, uh, kind of underlying stress under our society of what we did to the Native Americans. You know yeah. <laughs> that we yeah, came totally. in and we're like, hey, we're going to push you off your land, and you know what? We give such a little care for you. We're going to build a mall over your cemeteries, you know? Um, And so those kinds of historical sins have, have always been underlying uh, our in, in the horror genre in the U S too, and probably elsewhere. I mean, I'm sure if you really dig in, you know, again, like I mentioned Dracula or whatever, if you dig into British horror, you dig into French horror, I'm I'm sure you start getting a lot of like, echoes of imperialism and, and things there. Um, I'm not quite as familiar with them, yeah. but I'm sure it's, it's always there in the genre. I mean, you talk about like another good uh, creature feature. Did you ever see the ghost in the darkness? Mm, oh yeah. I've seen that one. Oh, oh it's so good. Great movie written by uh, William Goldman. Uh, it's got um, um, Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer in it. It's based on a true story when the British, uh, the British were in Africa in the late 1800s building a railroad and these two lions that the locals had named ghost and darkness, um, would creep into the camp at night. You know, they had thousands of workers working on this railroad and murder people. They didn't eat them. They just killed them (laughs) and they, they killed hundreds of people before they finally were able to take out these lions. But there's like, that's a true story. That's, that's very cool. But, but in the context of it being retold with, with these kind of horror vibes, like you do get that, that, you know, British imperialism of Africa is the stressor there, right? You know, that that's, that's everything that's bubbling up in these two lions that are just murdering these guys laying down the most British imperialistic thing of all that you could imagine a railroad, you know, right. the wilds of Africa. Um, it's weird how it's like very compartmentalized through generations, right? So like the the issues that are at hand at the time, <laughs> and, and it's funny that you brought it up about like America not wanting to like deal with their problems. I feel like when the problem happens, they really don't want to deal with it. And then it's later generations realizing the mistakes that the previous generations have made. And, and trying to raise awareness at, at the least about the wrongs that were done um, b- before they became of age to address those issues. Oh, definitely, definitely. And you can see that, you know, you look at, uh, look at the types of horror movies that are popular in the different decades um, and you see what people in American society were stressed about. 1950s, giant monster movies with monsters 
who were born from atomic weapon testing. Yep. From Godzilla to them, you know, or they, I forget what it's called, the giant ants. You know, they're just all these movies uh, about our fear of nuclear warfare. And know? the race at the right. time with Russia. Yeah. Right. And then you get into, um, you know, like uh, Night of the Living Dead in the late 60s. And, you know, what is a zombie movie if not watching a, a violent riot take place, you right. know? And all the, the protests and everything in Vietnam and the racial issues. I mean, race obviously being a big one with, with Ben, you know, the, the uh, black character in the film, you know, having to deal with it head on with some of the other characters and then getting shot at the end by the rednecks going around, like, you know, uh, killing zombies that are left over, even though he survives until then. Um, you know, you get into the 70s, we start getting a lot of... Um, uh, like possession stuff, you know, this kind of idea of um, what's going on inside of us. Right. You know? A big push for religion, not just religion, but uh, it's, it's almost echoes of kind of the um, like the new age movements and the, the, the push toward therapy and psychoanalysm and all this. Oh, yeah. okay. And we're thinking about yeah. like what's happening inside of us. And then you get into the, uh, you know, the 1980s, and everything becomes this kind of like, um, first off, you get the satanic panic, you know, everybody was scared of, of satanic cults in their neighborhood and, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was making kids worship the devil and all this yeah. stuff that everybody was afraid of. And like you talked about, like religion being a big element. And so you start seeing this bubbling up. We start seeing a lot of uh, like demonic things in horror movies. We see a lot of vampire flicks, um, which, you know, what's, what are the key things that you use to fight vampires and vampire movies? Crosses, holy water, you know, all this kind of this, this push with the religion, you know, as the religious right uh, took power in the eighties the over politics and in society. And, you know, and so we kind of see these things like continue to play out, whatever trends are popular at the box office with the horror genre is what, what we're, it's reflective of what we're dealing with as a society, you know, for good or ill. You know, and the questions yeah. we're asking, and and um, and it's an inc- again an incredibly fascinating genre that I can't think personally of another genre that even comes close to being the mirror on society that horror is. I, I guess maybe comedy. Would be comedy, the, yeah, that's that would be my next. Yeah, yeah you know, you get a lot of a lot of satire and stuff, but uh, but even then, I mean, you know, you get like kind of the same kind of comedies get made decade to decade, you know, you're always going to have like, you know, teenage sex comedies and, you know, workplace Mm -hmm. comedies and this, that, and the other. So even, even though we do get those satires and stuff, Mm -hmm. it's not as widespread across the genre uh, as it is with horror being, being this mirror on our society. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think, I think the latest movie to come out, at least uh, in the comedy genre, I forget the name of it. It's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lauren. um, Oh, uh, um, don't look up. Don't look up. Oh man. Such a good movie. It was really, really good. Yeah. Such a, such a great way to deal with climate change, you know? I mean, another great recent Leonardo DiCaprio comedy, uh, you know, is uh, Martin Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, man. Uh, So good. Yeah. Which, again, is, you know, just us kind of dealing with like, like, oh, my God, this is why our economy is horrible is because guys like this run it. 
You know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm making less at work and can't afford a house because guys like Jordan Belford are gaming the system, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, I think my favorite quote from that movie, because um, I know we've been throwing out a, a couple of quotes is, um, he, he's, he's in front of the entire office and, and he's got a microphone and he's like, if your wife thinks you're a loser, good, start dialing. If you're, if you're about to lose your house, good, start dialing. He goes, I want you to solve your problems by becoming rich. Yeah. You know, as like the whole, um, uh, gaming what? the system is the way to fix the problem, not the problem. Oh yeah, and I was going to say like what a what a quintessential American idea, right? Is that like like being wealthy is the end all be all. That's going to fix yeah. all our problems. And I tell you man, like living in in Los Angeles and working in the entertainment industry, I see that infect so many people. It's just like like I, you know, I will turn my life upside down in the pursuit of money. I will jeopardize my mental health and my relationships in the pursuit of money. Cause if I just, man, if I just made 50% more next year, then everything's going to fall into place, you know? And of yeah. course it never works out. I mean, unfortunately I've got people very close to me who think like that and are, are, you know, literally killing themselves internally, <laughs> you know, to make that extra money, you know, driving themselves into depression and you know, all this. Cause it's like, I just gotta, I gotta make extra money and not thinking about how toxic they've made their life and how toxic yeah. they've made their jobs in this pursuit of money. And what drives me up the wall with that too, is it's like, I see a lot of younger people doing that. It's infectious because of like social media and YouTube yeah. and you yeah, can get rich idea. at 10 years old. And yeah. And this idea that everything you do has to be monetized, that you can't just do something because you love it anymore. You can't have right. a hobby anymore. It's like, how can I make money off this? I have to monetize this or I feel like a loser. Um, yeah. It's kind of how we've set up our culture, and uh, I don't see that going well in the long run. <laughs> right, yeah. that's that's the next horror trope right there. It's, yeah, it's it's the social media era, and and I definitely think that it it has improved society in some ways and uh, hurt society and and many many others. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see kind of like where we go. Um, from here as, as far as that's concerned. Um, I think that social media as a whole, um, m my wife is, is, is really into social media. So uh, I, I kind of start there. My wife's in, in social media and um, she, she um, fancies herself an influencer. And um, every time we do something, like for instance, we went on our one year anniversary trip um, babe, I know you're listening to this. I love you. Um, <laughs> uh, we went on our one year anniversary trip and, and we had to vlog the whole thing. We had to, we had to put yeah. it on, on social media, you know, and, um, that's, uh, and I, I'm a little bit older than she is not much older, but a little bit older. And so for, for me, social media didn't really kick in until I was like out of high school. Social, social media really hit her at the end of middle school. Right. And so it was important. Um, socially when, when she was younger to have social media and have followers and, and have these things. And so it's, it's definitely less important to me than it is for her, but I feel like it's so ingrained in her. Um, and, and not that it's a super, super bad thing, but yeah, it's, it's so ingrained that even on a, uh, a one year anniversary trip, we, we got to get some, we got to get some viewers out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I've kind of gone the other way. Like, I couldn't tell you the last time I actually took a photograph of anything. Like, like if you if you go through my phone, I think I think like the latest photograph is from like six weeks ago or something. And so it's like like my life, I guess, doesn't exist. <laughs> um, and I'm just so bad. And I know I need to be better at social media as a writer. You know, as as a performer, there it's it's something I should be utilizing. And I'll go through little stints where I'm like trying to figure something out. I'll be like, you know, I dropped a bunch of weight this year, and, and you know, I was like, oh, I'll put some shirtless pics up or some you know BS there like that. And then I felt like an idiot for it. And then I went through and I deleted them all. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to record some funny videos. And I did that for a little bit. And then I'm like, eh, and I didn't post anything for like a couple of weeks. And it's like, you know, and it's Halloween season. Like I should be putting up like ghost stories and stuff. And I'm yeah. just like, eh, I don't really feel like going on. <laughs> like, right. So it's just like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. And none of it makes any sense. Right. Like I'll, I'll go on. I have like a great review for a book. Right. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, let me put this review up or like, like a blurb by a big name author. You know, um, uh, when my last novel came out, Josh Mallerman, uh, who wrote Bird Box and Goblin, um, gave me this fantastic blurb. And, you know, I was all excited. I post like my cover and put the blurb up and like 100 people like it or something. Right. Yeah. And then I recorded this dumb video the other day where it's just me like it, it it's 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 my face and there's text that just says, uh, um, zoom couples therapist who is secretly in love with the wife and it's just me like as a therapist talking to this imaginary couple where i'm just like glowing about the wife and it's obvious i'm in love with the wife and it's like 45 (laughs) seconds long or something and yeah it's a little funny but it's not like fall out of my chair hysterical or anything right that thing's been viewed like thirteen thousand times and i'm like i'm like i don't even know i i don't know what does what anymore you know? Yeah. Like, and, and to be honest, Jason has to pretty much fight me for me to put something on our, our own social <laughs> media pages. I mean, uh, and this is a good plug, guys. If you are listening, uh, give us some reviews on AFK Discussions on any podcast you're uh, currently listening to. If you like this podcast, you like the guests that we have on this podcast, go ahead and give us a like and a follow. Um, consider subscribing as well. Um, and I will try my best in the future to put something on our Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, uh, and, and follow me too, people, and tell me if, yeah. if there's anything that I've ever posted that works. I would appreciate <laughs> that. I, I mean, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing is about social media is, I mean, you have to be that algorithm. And the only, yeah. reason, the only yeah. way people see your stuff is if you get more likes. And you get more likes, more follows, more people see your stuff. And it's so hard to get people to follow. I mean, you have people looking at your page. Why don't they just hit the follow button? I mean, it's not going to kill you. It doesn't cost money. Just hit it. I mean, it helps us out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. None of it makes sense. I I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, someone who does, you know, social media for people for uh, a living and just like, you know, about like, all right, you know, what do I need to do for my social media? You know, and they were like, well, you know, they, they quoted me like a package and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to pay for that yet. But <laughs> yeah, uh, they're really good at what they do. Uh, but but it's just one of those things. And then they were like, they were like, well, you know, you really need you need a different uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok for your book writing. And then you and then another one for your your comedy performing and then another one for you know i've been doing like like i did a powerlifting meet and you know i'm, I'm gonna have like a 
an amateur fight coming up and stuff. And they were like, you know, do a different one for that. And I was like, my God, that's just so much stuff. And then they like, you have to like post daily on all of them, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, I, I can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry. I tap out. I tap out. Yeah. You know what? I'll be, uh, 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 Emily Dickinson and you know, I'll croak and maybe people will find my stuff after I die. How about that? <laughs> like, <clears throat> it's so, it's so complicated too, because it's like you have to post every day at this time. And if you post every day at this time, then you know, the algorithm's going to notice, Hey, he's posting every day this time. So this time we need to push this post to X amount of people. I mean, who's got time to schedule their life around posting stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah. And I feel bad for people like whether you're talking like fitness influencers or models or like sex workers or whatever. People who have to make a living off their looks Mm. constantly having to do this. Like, like think about that. Like your entire identity is, is tied, not just your identity, but your income, your self-worth, like to bring it back to that whole thing of like, like you got to make money off everything now. And like you're you're having to be like, well, I gotta I gotta post daily of me, you know, me in like you know shirtless or, or in a you know if you're a woman like in a you know revealing top or whatever daily, and it's got to be something different, and I have to always like look in shape and be sexy and blah blah blah. It's like my God, how much that has to just beat the shit out of you internally. Yeah. <laughs> like like there is something to be said. You know, I was talking about dropping all this this weight, and somebody asked me the other day, they were like. They're like, you're going to push it and get a six pack. And I was like, no, man, I like food and the holidays are around the corner. I think I'm going to get fat again. <laughs> 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 There's so much less pressure. <laughs> like, just <laughs> right. like, let me, let me eat that pumpkin spice dessert and I'll just chill and click like on somebody else's deadlift video. That's what there I'll do. Go, man. <laughs> and I think it goes back to like, man, I, I, I think some people just enjoy it. Right. Like I, I think like my, my wife thoroughly just enjoys social media. She yeah. likes to post things. She likes to look at things and, and it's I a dopamine those people, Yeah. I think yeah. for those people, it's great. But I think for people like me who kind of missed the boat or was, well, you know, kind of sailed on a canoe before the boat was built. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not as much of a big deal for yeah. me, you know? I mean, I get it. You know, like I was, I was talking about like my dumb, like shirtless pics when I lost a bunch of weight. Jason and I were talking about this the other day because uh, he was just like, man, like, you know, you, you got in shape. And I was telling him my plan to get out of shape again. Uh, but, uh, I, I, but, I believe the quote was, hey, man, I've been seeing all these beefcake pictures you've been posting. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I get it. Like, you know, like I, I, I posted like like my before and after. Like, here's me 320 pounds. Here's me at 230 and, you know, just like it blew up, you know, like hundreds of likes and all these people like commenting on it. And it's like a dopamine rush, right? Like you feel good. Like every time you go on and you look, it's like, oh, more, more people have, have said something uh, about my transformation. And I know the hard work I put in and, you know, and I, and I feel good about it. And then, like I said, like a couple of weeks later, I was like, man, I've, I'm embarrassed. I got all these shirtless pics. And so I went and I deleted them all because <laughs> like, that's just not who I am. You know, it's like, yeah. but, but I get it. I get that dopamine rush, you know, that you, you, you get validation for something, whether it's a photograph you took, whether it's, it's your, your personal appearance, whether it's something you've written, you know, or, or an idea you had, you know, and with social media, like when we were kids, you know, every, everybody was having these, ideas constantly anyway you would have like whatever dumb idea went into your head you know like like how do i know that 
the color blue I see is the same color blue you see, right? And when we're, <laughs> you're young, like you say that drinking a Boone's Farm strawberry daiquiri in your friend's basement, and everybody's just like, oh, yeah, good thought. And then you forget about it, you know? Yeah. In, in the, the modern day, like, you're going to tweet that shit now. Hey, <laughs> do you guys think that the same color blue you're looking at is the color blue I'm looking at? And then it's going to blow up and you're going to get like 5,000 likes and then a bunch of comments and a bunch of people being like, man, that's a good thought. But then a bunch of people being like, you're a moron. I can't believe you did this. And then some third guy will come in and be like, you obviously have never read uh, Sanford Brenning's uh, groundbreaking paper from 1976 on blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes this like huge thing. That's one of my favorite things. Whenever like you go on the news, you're watching some story about like, I don't know, like, woke culture snowflakes or whatever and like they always show like somebody's tweet that blew up and it's just like man like that's just some random dude saying some dumb thing and if it wasn't for social media we would have ignored him <laughs> like, yeah you know? exactly like, and now you're putting it, him on the news as though he's indicative of something in society when he's just basically like your idiot high friend who thought he had a philosophical thought <laughs> that's so crazy and then i feel like that person then in we've turn really gotten off on a tangent feels, here, right i know, I know. <laughs> feels pressure to keep posting things to try to stay relevant in that moment okay so just real quick i'm going to put it in here we lost ty for some reason and if i have to cut it weird and it sounds different then that's why ty had to reconnect so i just let everyone know this may not make it to the recording but if it does you know what happened <laughs> your boy is back all right, so I guess that's a good segue since we had technical difficulties to get on to uh, another topic. So, Brad, man, so I so I saw that you posted something about a new book I think you have coming out, The Love Songs for a Dying World. Yeah. And that was like, I saw it and I was like, dude, I got to get Brad on the show. What is this book? I need to know more. So this is, I'll let you talk and tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. I may actually change the title. I'll say that. Um I, uh, I've been tinkering around. So, you know, I've, I've been writing short stories for God knows how many years at this point. And, um, you know, I just have this mountain of short stories, some of which have been published, some haven't been published, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I had a, a collection of horror short stories come out in 2019, I believe, called We're Carrying God's Dance. And I wanted to put something together that wasn't <clears throat> all horror you know, it, the, it might have a couple of horror stories in it, but for the most part, it's more kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, transgressive, some comedy, uh, et cetera. And so, uh, yeah, so basically I've been putting together this short story collection and, uh, and continue to monkey with it. I think it was Michelangelo who uh, once said, not the Ninja Turtle, although it would be good oh, if, man. if it was the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to pretend it was the Ninja Turtle. Michelangelo the Ninja Turtle once said... <clears throat> Um, a work of art is never complete. It's merely abandoned. And so I haven't quite gotten to the point where I've abandoned this yet. So I keep like swapping out what stories are in it. And some of the stories I'm like, Oh, I want to rewrite that now. <laughs> but, but <laughs> excuse me. Um, but yeah. So anyway, it's a, uh, it's a short story collection I'm putting together. Um, but I, uh, I also hope that there's a, uh, a novel uh, being released soon. My, agent has a stack of them uh with um different publishers right now and uh, a couple of them are looking pretty good like we might be close to something so um yeah i don't know it's it's always writing's always just this kind of roller coaster um 
you know, I've been focused so much on film stuff this year too. It's nice to, to kind of be pulling my head back toward prose, toward novels and short stories. Cause I love movies. I mean, don't get me wrong by, by any stretch of the imagination, like I absolutely love movies and I, I love writing them. I love working on them. Um, but man, does it beat you up <laughs> like, yeah. from every corner. And, I can imagine. And again, talk about the roller coaster. It's just such so many ups and downs. And like, you th- think something's going and uh, it's not even that you think it's going like it is going like, like you get a pay, you get your first paycheck and you have a zoom with a big actor and like all this. And then just like a month later for no reason whatsoever, it falls apart. You know? Yeah. And it's just, you go through that over and over again and you know, it wears on you. Cause it's like, I, I have a soft spot for everything I've written. You know, I know some, some of the stuff I've written, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who's like, everything I've written is brilliant. Uh, because in <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, let me, let me tell you fellas, here's a little secret. There's a lot of shit that I've written. <laughs> like, a lot of stuff's not good, but there's a lot that I'm proud of too. But even the stuff that's not good, like there's something about it. Like I, I wrote it for a reason, you know, it, it, something drew me to it. And, um, and so you go through these like roller coasters and these ups and downs with all of them. And it's, it's like, it's like constantly having a child that you're trying to get put into, uh, uh, you know, the best school in your neighborhood and you go in and you meet with the principal and, and you meet with the teacher and the kid loves the place and everybody loves your kid. And it's like, fill out this form. We got a place for him. And you're like, oh, great. And they're like, hey, he's going to start Monday. And you're like, excellent. And then Sunday night you get a call. Yeah, you know, we decided to give that spot to somebody else. Oh, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just that over and over again. But uh, uh, yeah, so so it's, it's nice to be getting back, you know, into uh, dealing with some pros and stuff, but I, but I do have, I do have some film projects um, uh, popping right now that I'm excited about uh, a couple of horror things uh, actually. And um, you know, it's, it's looking like 2023 is going to be a good year. Knock on wood. Now that I've said that on the podcast, I'll get three calls this week that they all got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything you can talk about or is this kind of on the download right now? Cause pre-production and all that. I don't know what I can talk about and what I can't. So I'm just going to talk. We love that. We love that. Um, Anything that I haven't signed a non-disclosure about, uh, you know, I always get into this weird thing. Like again, go back to social media. It's like, like I want to go on and like tweet, like when I got good news or something, but it's like all this stuff you get, um, you know, like, like sometimes the movie wants to wait until it's, everybody wants to wait until it's come together and they want like the first big announcement to be in variety or something. Um, but, uh, uh, what I can tell you is, uh, I have a film shooting in Montreal in, uh, March called crisis, uh, with a director, Adam O'Brien, uh, fantastic, um, director. He just finished a movie uh, called home with, uh, Emily Hampshire, Hampshire Hampstead from, uh, Schitt's Creek. And, um, uh, really great guy. We've got a, got a few projects with him, but uh, a crisis starts shooting in Montreal in 2023. And that's a, uh, a contained horror thriller uh, in one location. And, um, uh, and then that's um, immediately followed up. We basically have a, uh, I have a package with him. Uh, a couple of films I wrote with uh, um, a guy I write with sometimes, John Patrizzi. Um, 
And so that's going to be followed up immediately by a, uh, a, f- a film called Sig Alert, uh, which is another contained thriller. And then um, our our bigger film is a uh, kind of a ghost story with uh, with him, and that's called Tingle. Uh, so looking forward to that. Um, also have a uh, slasher film with um, uh, the director Alejandro Bruges. Alejandro did uh, One of the Dead. So oh, awesome! Was, that's really cool. Most, Famous for yeah, he's got a film coming up on Netflix uh, called the uh, the Last Will of Charles Abernathy. Um, so uh, so that's that's something I'm also really excited about. And then uh, and then we also have a film that's going to be shooting in Knoxville actually in uh, 2023. Uh, here I'll use I'll use a a Knoxville ism right here. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Uh, we'll be shooting in Knoxville in 2023 uh, based on my first novel, Darling, uh, with director Banner Gwen. Uh, Banner's incredibly talented. He he interned with Scorsese and Sidney Pollock and um, it's basically, you know, worked with everybody in the industry. We've got uh, John Hillcoat, executive producing. Uh, John directed The Road and uh, Lawless, Triple Nine. Oh man, such um, good films. Oh yeah, yeah. John's John's been such great help. Um, we're casting the film right now with uh, Lisa Cannon out of uh, Atlanta. Lisa uh, is the casting director for The Walking Dead and a lot of stuff that shoots down there. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, we're trying to. I'm hoping we we've got the script with a big actor right now that I don't want to say uh, who just yet because I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. But I'm hoping we're finally getting a a, a yes on this. Uh, on the on the actor and uh, we'll have a, a nice announcement for that soon but uh, but yeah 20 like I said 2023 is shaping up to be pretty good on the film front provided everything doesn't fall apart for absolutely no reason at the last minute as it tends to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, but yeah you know <clears throat> and it's just it's just pushing I've got uh, I've, like I said I've got some novels uh, that my agent's shopping and you know just trying to get as much stuff out there as I can. You know, I, I love, absolutely love writing and, um, I have so much stuff. Um, and I just, I want other people to see it. You know, it's, uh, um, I read, I read once, I forget who said this, but, uh, a work of art isn't, uh, complete until it's shared, you know, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's just something like about, you know, whether it's a book or a short story or, or a screenplay, I don't feel, I don't feel satisfied with it until I share it with somebody. And sometimes that's all it, all it takes is like having a good friend read it, you know, and, and you get that feeling. It's like, okay, I was able to share that with someone. And then other times it's like, no, 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 this, this has to get out there at a bigger level. Um, and you know, so I'm just trying to trying to share as much as I can, you know, because because that's the kind of person I am, guys. I'm a sharing person. You're share. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a giving person, <laughs> and I want to want to I want to give all this horrible shit that I've written to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I gotta say I'm super excited about Darling. Um, it's one of your books. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a big reader. I don't really have a, t- a lot of time to read, and it's an audio book. So, guys, those out there who don't read, it's on Audible. You need to go check it out. It is such a good – I mean, it, it. I can't put into words how good it is. It's, it's really good. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Brad's friend. 
I mean, it's legit an awesome, awesome novel. I think um, I don't want to toot your horn, Brad, but I think uh, there was a, a quote from, <laughs> I think, a Fangoria magazine that kind of said, hey, Brad, you know, his writing reminds me of Stephen King. And that, I mean, seriously, Darling is on par with any Stephen King novel. I swear it is. Oh, thanks. It's so good. Yeah, that Fangoria review was was really nice. I was I was that's one of those like, you know, you grow up reading Fangoria and then you know I wrote my first book and it's like, oh my god, they reviewed it. <laughs> like it's like, you know, uh I can die happy. Not really. But uh I will I will never be happy when I die. That's spoiler alert for anyone. So don't be anywhere near where my corpse is because I'm coming back. And I'm coming after all. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Let me just say that. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, you know, yeah, D- Darling's a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for the the kind words on it. And for anyone in the in that area, you know, it's it's very steeped in Appalachian folklore, and um, particularly the kind of dark history of East Tennessee. Because I don't know if you gentlemen have ever really looked into it, but you would be shocked by the number of serial killers who. Uh, have been active in East Tennessee. Really? Knoxville, for some reason, has had a massive amount of violent, like strangely violent murders. I'm not talking about just like somebody being shot right. or like, like beaten to death or something like really strangely violent murders. And so, um, you know, I, I, I kind of weaved a lot of that into the book, trying to be as tasteful with it as I could. Yeah. Um, Cause unfortunately some of them are more recent than others too, but um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know. It's the Appalachians. It's, it's a weird place. You've got all this, this storytelling tradition that came over with the, uh, the Scottish and Irish immigrants <clears throat> who uh, settled into the area. You know, they're bringing their own stories of, you know, black hounds on the moors and, you know, spectral women, you know, and, and castles and, and all this, you know, they, they brought all this folklore into the area, but then there's just something about just these like dark, you know, the, the dark hills and the thick woods. And, you know, if you've ever been, been hiking in, in the Smokies or, or someplace like that on a day where there's not a lot of people out and it's kind of just maybe you and your buddy, it's creepy. like deep in the woods. No, it's it's like, creepy, like, you feel man. Like you're being yeah, man. It's, it's yeah. Uh, hills have eyes kind of vibe. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. be really honest, especially when the fog is like settled on the mountainside and, and you, you can totally. hear the twigs beneath your boots breaking as you walk down the trails, dude. It's, it's definitely a very spooky, spooky vibe, but uh, I, I got, I got a question and it's something that I've always kind of been interested in and I've never had like an author that I could like really just sit down and ask um, because I, I fancy myself a storyteller, right? Um, I have a, I have a hard, really hard time putting it down um, uh, to, to share with people, but I'm really interested on how do you get these ideas? Where do they come from? For me, um, a lot of the coolest stories or ideas that I think I've told people for like movies and stuff and have really come to me. Some are like a combination of dreams mixed with uh, maybe, maybe something I've seen recently or, or something that I think is really cool. It it may be like superpowers or, 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 or abilities and things like that. But like, how do you, um, how does your think tank um, work whenever you're writing uh, uh, even a short story? Um, How, how does, how is that process? 
Man, it's it's all over the place. Like I've got some stories that have started just from where I'm I'm in the shower and the first line pops in my head. Um, there's this short story I wrote uh, years ago uh, called Breathe, and I was just in the shower and the first line popped in my head. It was uh, <clears throat> in the space between breaths he saw her, and I was just like, "What does that mean?" Yeah, you know. And I had to sit down and write and just figure out like, what did that mean? You know, because that intrigued me. I'll get that a lot. I'll have two in like I'll have an interesting idea sometimes too, where I know it's something that I want to deal with. It's like, I want to write about that, but it, but a story doesn't present itself. And then I'll have a seemingly unrelated idea. And then the two kind of crash into each other. Okay. And I'm like, oh, now it's a story. Like uh, I, I wrote a comedic screenplay recently. It's kind of a Shane Black type of thing um, about a, uh, um, a high-priced call girl who um, <clears throat> has a new client and he gets murdered. And I was like, you know, I wrote like the first, I don't know, 15 pages or something. Because uh, like I just really liked her voice and I liked that setup, but I had no idea where it was going to go. And then it just kind of sat there for a while. Yeah. And then I had this other idea about a um, uh, a cryptocurrency scam, you know, using crypto as a way to launder money. And then I was like, these are the same story. And once I crashed them together, like I, I wrote that whole screenplay in like a week or something. Um, and you know, so I'll get that a lot too. And then sometimes it's just you know me dealing with something personal in my life, like whether I realize I'm doing that or not, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll just have this drive where I'm like, I got to write about this. Um, one of my, uh, one of my most popular short stories, um, I think it was originally published in 2008, uh, it's called, um, the other Patrick. And it's about, uh, a couple who've lost a child and their, their marriage is kind of falling apart because they can't deal with each other. And then like, you know, it goes off in kind of a supernatural way. And, you know, this whole idea kind of came into my head and, and I had to write that. And it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until it was published and people started emailing me about it and how much they loved it and it moved them that I realized I was like, Oh, I was working through some stuff writing this story, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, so that happens a lot. I mean, and like I said, I'm, I'm not always aware of it. Sometimes I guess I'm aware of it. I can't say I'm never aware of it. Right. Um, some, sometimes I'm, I'm like, can't stop thinking about something that's occurring in my life. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put a fictional character through this hell and see what they do with it. But, um, yeah. you know, but, but a lot of times it is just kind of that subconscious thing. You know, I say, <clears throat> I was saying to someone the other day that, um, you know, I think, I think artists are, are just machines in many ways. I think we take input all day. You know, we take input from our lives, we take input from what we read, what we hear, what we see. And then when we sit down to create, whether that's writing or painting or what have you, we just spew output. Yeah. You know, just input output. And we're not always conscious of, of how those relate to each other. Um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of people try to make, make the whole process almost magical in a way when really I think that's all that's going on. Although, you know, honestly, maybe in that simplicity is where the magic lies, you know, it's just that, that we, we can take this input and transform it into, into an output that we can share and that hopefully other people enjoy and maybe also get something out of, you know, that's my favorite thing with writing. Like I was talking about receiving messages on that short story, for instance, or with my last novel that came out life on the 64 bus, I've gotten a lot of messages. <clears throat> it deals with mental illness. I've gotten a lot of messages from people who have who are bipolar 
or have borderline personality disorder or, or even, you know, there's one person wrote me who had been struggling with schizophrenia and they were, you know, they, they all talked about how the book felt so honest to them that there was a lot of the things that I had touched on, uh, like anger issues and, and whatnot um, with mental illness that they hadn't seen dealt with in a work of fiction before. And, and it, it made them feel seen. You know, it made them feel yeah. like they weren't alone. And like, I, I tell you, like as, as a writer, there's nothing I love more than that is to get that, that correspondence from someone that, that like, Hey, you, you made me feel this, you know, you made me feel this emotion. You made me feel like I wasn't alone. You made me look at my own life differently. Um, and you know, that, that may sound pretentious, but I mean, that's one of the things, you know, that's, that's why I was always a reader, <clears throat> you know, the, the best books. Uh, that's why I loved movies. You know, the best, yeah. best movies do this. It's that you feel like it, it moves you in some way, it hits you in some way that, that lets you kind of look at your life uh, in, in a different way, you know, maybe, maybe helps you through a bad patch or gives you an idea of what you need to be doing or inspires you to something new. And, you know, if I can do that to, with one person, in my entire career, then I, I feel like I've accomplished something. Yeah. And I feel like that is such a, a talent just to be able to intake that information and put it back in the world in a super like useful, consumable and, and meaningful way. Right. Like I've, I think that's something that I, I've always been kind of envious, right? Because I always have what I like to think are big ideas. Um, and, and I don't have that kind of, um, of talent or, or, um, knowledge to really try to put that out into the world. I think, of course, it's probably something that you've developed over years and years of, of practice and hard work, I'm sure. But, um, oh yeah, I, it's, it's a muscle, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's something you have to train and it's not just learning the craft and, you know, learning how to write, learning how to structure a story and all that. It's priming your brain for it. You know, after years of doing it, when I have an idea, whether it's a, uh, a first line or, you know, uh, two ideas crashing together to form a, a plot or whatever, um, my brain has been trained to the point now where like it automatically just does those steps you know i can sit down and write a screenplay for instance you know it used to be like it would take me months to write a screenplay and i can pound out a first draft really quickly now because i just understand all the basic right. story components you know that you know here's here's the things that need to be happening with the main character here's here's the types of complications they need to go through you know using but therefore you know all, the, all these kind of elements that just kind of pour together to make a story and i'm not saying you know i'm going to pound out uh you know an oscar winning screenplay you know in a week or something. sure it, sure it'll be a it'll be a rough draft it'll require some work but it's there you know right. it's all just because it's i've trained that muscle you know um and I think that's I think that's true for anything, you know. You, whether you're talking anything creative or athletic or you know just a, a skilled job, you know, the the more you do it, the more your brain carves out those pathways, right, um, to continue to do it. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, super. All that all that said, Ty. That's me telling you just sit down and start working that muscle. Man. Yeah, man. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, it's so interesting. And, and I definitely think that um, this is 
this is definitely, I think, one of those outlets to try to get my thoughts out there um, without putting them down. I guess that's the lazy way of doing it. But I, I definitely <laughs> think that it would be it would be really cool. Um, and, and I got a I got a friend of mine. Uh, shout out uh, to Jimmy. Um, he, uh, my friend James Angle, um, he he would he's challenged me a couple of times to do some stuff with him um, like that, and uh, I've kind of flinched at the opportunity a couple of times. But um, ha- having someone like you on the on the podcast and sort of breaking it down is is super helpful, not only to me but to listeners out there that that really want to. Um, get into get into writing or 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 filmmaking i think that it's a good a good first step um and and good insight into your world you know what i mean yeah 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 i think i think people tend to mystify the arts um i think a lot of people in the arts tend to mystify the arts um because like i said we don't we don't always know where this stuff comes from you just I sit down to write sometimes and it just comes out. I, I can tell you where it comes from. Yeah. You know, Stephen, Stephen King always says it feels like he's uh, um, found a fossil, you know, when he's writing that there's something that already exists and he's just uncovering it. You know, he's getting the dirt away. Right. Um, which is very similar. I think, I think it might've been Da Vinci who said, you know, when he looks at a piece, looked at a piece of marble, he would see a figure trapped in the marble and he had to carve away all the excess marble to let that figure out. Um, and, you know, there's so I think I think we tend to, as artists, kind of mystify the process. But at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to more than anything is just hard work. You know, yeah. are you willing to put in the work um, uh, to do it? And, you know, depending on your your the way your brain works and your level of talent, that might be more work for some people than it is for others. And I think that can be discouraging, you know, as you look at you look at, you know, some young prodigy that, that seemingly comes out of nowhere and has like, you know, a masterpiece in their twenties. Um, and you know, it's discouraging to look at that and be like, Oh, well, God, I, I obviously don't have that. Right. You know? Right. Um, but you know, I always think Dan Simmons, uh, who's a best-selling author, uh, he, he'd always said that like writing is one of the pursuits where that doesn't matter as much because who wants to read anything about life written by an 18 year old? Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's, that's profound like, actually. Yeah. What insight can an 18 year old give any of us on life, but they haven't been through anything. Right. Yet, you know, and that's why you see it. You see a lot of first novels published by people in their sixties, you know, because you have to, you have to have experienced life and be able to reflect on it. Um, in order to have any interesting insight in it, um, which is all to say, nobody feel like you're in a rush. I, again, I know so many people who who feel like they got to do it today. You know, it's, it's the hustle culture. You know, um, you know, again, like we got to monetize everything we do and blah blah blah. And I got to be making money off of it today. And it's it's really a pursuit. It's like you got time, man. Like like kick back. You know, have fun with the craft. Learn, get better, make mistakes. Like I said, I've written a lot of horrible stuff, but you have to, you got to get that horrible stuff out of the way so you can get to the good stuff. Yeah. You know, and so start, start getting it down. Like, like, don't worry about it. Don't feel like you're in a race. I had honestly, I had said to myself when I, I sold darling, I was like, I'm going to publish a novel by the time I'm 30. 
And um, uh, I shouldn't be saying this because I want people to buy the book and to read it. And Jason was was praising it. And I was talking about how much I love the Fangoria book uh, review of it and stuff. Um, if I'd waited five years, that would have been a much better book. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I, I was rushing. I was like, I set this arbitrary goal for myself. I'm going to publish a novel by the time I'm 30. And looking back on it, I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, nobody cares. You know, like now I, I, I you know, I, I have never, ever seen in a review of my work. I've never had anybody say this to my face. Wow. I'm so impressed. You published a novel by the time you were 30. Like nobody cares. <laughs> like, right. that, that was just pressure I put on myself for no reason whatsoever, because I had some kind of arbitrary time limit in my head that didn't matter. Yeah. You know? I think theoretically it, it doesn't matter until the moment that somebody reads it. And until then, you can take your time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and especially with the with a book, you know, books can be books can be a time consuming process. My my last novel that came out, Life on the sixty four bus, um, I wrote the first draft of that in like a fever state. I, I probably wrote it was like a three hundred page book, hundred twenty thousand words, something like that, and I, I wrote the first draft in three months. Um, and it took me 10 years of rewriting that book before I could sell it. <laughs> yeah. Um, not, cons- not continuously. I mean, I would, I would put it in a drawer for, you know, a year and then I'd come back to it and be like, Oh, here's what I did wrong there. Sure. Like have a new insight on something. And, and it's, again, it's one of those things, you know, if I wrote that book today, it would be a completely different book than the book that was published. Yeah. Um, again, you know, talking about Dan Simmons, one of his first books, um, I think it was published in like 1982. It was called uh, Song of Kali. And um, I read an interview with him where he was talking about he still does uh, book readings of that book. Like he'll be asked to come to a library or a bookstore to read. And while he reads that book that was published 40 years ago, he pulls out a red pen and marks up the pages as to what he would do differently today. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, hindsight's like, oh, always twenty twenty, right? Yeah, exactly. But again, you know, it's that that old that quote that I said earlier: "Work of art's never completed; it's merely abandoned." Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's hard to know when to abandon something. Um, but all that's to say, you know, to you and to any other listeners who want to get into writing, don't feel that there's a time limit on it. Don't feel that you're being rushed. You've you've literally you've got all the time in the world. You're Burgess Meredith at the end of that twilight episode, but before he breaks his glasses <laughs> and it's, and you have time enough at last, you know, and just take your time write the book, have fun writing it, have fun writing whatever you're, you're writing. And, uh, you know, don't, don't feel the pressure that our culture puts on us for stuff like that kind of pressure. I don't think creates good art. I think it's antithetical yeah. to good art. You, you have to be able to breathe. Um, I think to, to be able to, uh, to say what you're trying to say. Um, very interesting point of view on that. Very, very interesting. And, and again, this is the first time I've ever had the chance to get that point of view. So I, I definitely am going to take that, take that to heart. And I urge our listeners to, to take that to heart too. Hey, and if you write something, Ty, I want you to send it to me. I want to read All it. right. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> All right. Hey, Brad, man, uh, I want to get back into something that, uh, Probably a lot, not a lot of people know about. I mean, I think it's a kind of a cult classic, but let's talk about George's intervention. 
Ah, George's intervention, or uh, George a zombie intervention, as the yeah. uh, distributor retitled it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a classic. I remember. Um, so Brad, this is one of the first things he did. Um, whenever he moved, I think it was right after you moved out to LA, right? Or yeah. shortly after. Yeah, I'd, I'd been out here for maybe two years, something like that, and uh, I was taking a. Uh, I was taking a film class at Los Angeles Valley College, and I met uh, J.T. Seaton because he'd always come in with these John Carpenter shirts on, and um, and we we became good friends. And you know, J.T. had directed these fantastic uh, horror short films, and you know, had been wanting to do a feature. And you know, we we kind of sat around for a little while, kicking around ideas, and came up with this horror comedy idea about. Um, some friends who get together to have an intervention for their buddy, George, because he's a zombie and he's been eating people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and of course everything goes wrong. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That was an ultra low budget film. And uh, I'm always really flattered at the, the following it's gotten over the years. Um, I mean, I still just the other day I, I randomly, I don't know why I did this. I was like, I Googled it and was like, oh, I wonder, you know, if there's anything new on that. And there's like reviews coming out for it constantly, like people stumbling upon it. There was a book that was released a couple of years back called uh, horror, horror Movie a Day, I think. And, um, you know, and it's mostly like big movies, but then there's George's Intervention was one of the movies that was watched and, um, you know, and still get like emails and stuff about it. And, you know, it's, it's really flattering because it's, it's an ultra low budget movie. Like when you watch it, I mean, we had, we had no money. I think the entire thing cost us like $60,000. Um, and, uh, you know, pulled favors left and right and, and all this. And, um, uh, but the, uh, you know, the reviews are always pointing out how funny the script is. And we had a great cast of performers uh, in the film who, who were really able to to nail some of the comedy. And, um, you know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, th- that that film uh, will, will hold a soft spot in my heart for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. I remember um, you had like a kind of a a preview for, you know, all your homies back here in Knoxville, whenever, whenever you got finished with it and it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fun. I remember that I was, uh, speeding from my friend Brian's house to get to where we were supposed to have it. And I was going way too fast on the interstate cause I was running late and it was raining and I hit a patch of water and I did three complete turns on the interstate and somehow did not hit another oh car. My God. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh man you know when i think of my history with driving i probably should not be behind the wheel of a car (laughs) um anyway uh yeah so for anybody out there who's interested in checking it out george's intervention uh george a zombie intervention is probably how you'll find it uh directed by jt seaton written by myself and and jt uh it stars uh lynn lowry uh, Carlos Larkin. Carlos is one of the funniest performers I've ever met in my life. Um, Eric Turek, uh, who I'm currently doing sketch comedy with, uh, with him, Adam Fox, who's also in the film we're doing sketch with and, uh, uh my wife, Shannon. 
and um, who's just such a fantastic actress, um, which, you know, I know is like the cliche. It's like, oh, everybody cast their, their wife, but like JT wouldn't have cast her if she wasn't good. Um, in fact, that's why I married her. She she impressed me in a play I saw her in, and I was like, I got to marry that woman. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, really funny film. Uh, John Carius, who uh, is probably most known for being in Poultrygeist. And we got some cameos by Lloyd Kaufman and Brink Stevens. And yeah, it's just a, just a fun, fun little flick. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the humor definitely works and um, yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Let me know. Uh, anybody who checks it out, let me know what you think about it. It's real good guys. Seriously. If you like um, campy horror movies, like um, think the first evil dead, I mean, you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely in that vein, like evil dead, Shaun of the dead, but on a shoestring budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the first evil dead was pretty much a shoestring budget also. Yeah. But you know, we're not Sam Raimi. So <laughs> yeah, true. True. Maybe one day, right? <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, um, Real quick before we leave, I just want to, because you mentioned something about being in the fight. I know you do some mixed martial arts stuff. Um, how's that going right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's kind of been kind of been a crazy year. Um, I, uh, I was in, well, I won't get into all my, like, health issues, but, like, I had some health problems that kind of, like, derailed some stuff. But, uh, you know, I just, just competed in my first powerlifting meet, um, and, uh, and that was fun. And, uh um, you know, was, I was going to have, I was going to fight this month and then, um, due to some health issues, uh, that, that got canceled, uh, on my part. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I got one in me, you know, I, uh, when I first moved out here, I was training at a shoot a box, um, which, uh, I don't know, you know, you, you guys or, or some listeners, anybody who follows mixed martial arts, that's where, um, like we had like Shogun Hua training out of there. Uh, Vandalay Silva fought out of shoot a box. Um, Kazushi Sakuraba did his, uh, stand up game there. Um, Elvis Sinisek, like, you know, all these guys and, uh, you know, fantastic plays. And, um, I got so much out of that, but I remember, so I, I when I was training there originally, I broke three ribs. Um, which put me out of commission. And when I thought about coming back, there was this kid who was training there. He's from Brazil. And I don't know, he was like 18 or 19. This kid lived in his car, parked at the, the training facility. He would get up in the morning, come in, train all day, clean the place as recompense for training, train some more, and then go to his car and sleep. And that was his life. And I remember like, you know, thinking like, oh man, maybe, maybe I can fight professionally. And I would watch this kid and I'm like, how do you beat somebody like that? You don't, like, you don't, <laughs> you don't. That's could be, yeah, that's could be even a nutshell and you just don't beat that guy either. No, man. Like, yeah. Like they want it so much more than you ever will. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the key. It's like, you know, and I was getting to the point where it's like, man, I broke my ribs and like, I'm tired of having a headache all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Now I, now I got good health insurance. So I'm like, eh, maybe I'll do another one, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but well, see back in the day, uh, Ty, you didn't know this about me, but, uh, Brad and I, we used to take martial arts together. We, um, took Kung Fu 
we um, did some walum kung fu and uh, a little bit of Jeet Kune Do, and uh, it was it was great. We used to fight each other all the time. Um, but yeah, that was uh, when we were young and dumb. Yep. So, young uh, and spry. <laughs> yeah, we uh, did. You fight in the Sanshaw with us when we all went up to Gallenberg? And- no, I didn't. I didn't. I broke. I broke my toe training for that. <laughs> I remember it's still like on on rainy days. I know this is such a cliche. It's not like an old man on a porch. Whatever, whatever. It's cloudy out. My toe still aches. Um, I can tell a storm's there, coming. There was this dude. What was this guy's name? God, he was just this old redneck dude who who wanted to fight with us in the sand show. Was training with us. Man, I wish I could remember his name. Had this big old thick mustache and. Uh, uh, he he was you know he's all he's one of these guys who was always just like man go hard or go home. Oh, Never had like a professional <laughs> fight in life, right? So we show up at the Sand Show, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it's it's uh, basically like Chinese kickboxing. Like uh, uh, Kung Lee was the the big fighter there that day, and um, so you know we show up and we're like doing our way in and and all this and signing up to fight, and um, uh, they they have all the divisions are broken up in tiers. You know, based on your experience level, like how many fights you got under your belt and stuff. And this guy, I wish I could remember this guy's name. He uh, uh, he goes up and he's like, "I want to be in the top tier, whatever that Kung Lee guy is fighting in. I want I want to be in that." <laughs> and they're like, "You don't have a professional fight under your belt. You can't do it." And he's like, "I'm fighting in that tier. I ain't leaving here if I'm not fighting in that tier." And he wouldn't. He wouldn't leave. And they were finally like, "Whatever." And they signed him up for. It. <laughs> Never had a pro fight in his life. He went in there and like, like he went. The guy he fought, he went toe to toe with. It went the distance. They had to go to a judge's decision. He lost. But like, I was just like, man, that's impressive. <laughs> but just this, just this good old boy. He's like, man, if I'm gonna do it, I'm doing it. Mama, you know? mama ain't raising no bitch. <laughs> I think we lost Ty again. Yeah, we did. I don't know if he, I think we're going. <laughs> so um, I think this recording is against us tonight. Gosh, yeah. Um, I, like I said, this I don't know what's going on with this uh, Zincaster tonight. Um, it so it kind of reminds me of I, I listen to this podcast. Uh, you you were on his show, um, Tony Merkel, the oh, yeah. professionals. Um, so they were talking this past week about all this weird stuff that's been happening to them when they talk about a certain subject, like something goes on wrong with their equipment. And I just listened to that podcast and I'm like, dude, did it affect me too? <laughs> like, is this, is this part of it? <laughs> Cause I'm, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just weirded me out. But anyways, all right, man. Well, dude, it's so good catching up with you, Brad. Um, I mean, we need to do this more often. Uh, I wanted to do like ghost stories and stuff, but we kind of went in a whole different direction. So we're going <laughs> to definitely have to get you back on and, have you do some ghost stories because I mean, this was a great conversation and I think it just went, it went all in the right direction that it needed to go, but I want to do more. So we're going to have to get you back on. Yeah, man. Anytime, you know, there's uh, uh, nothing I like doing more than running my mouth. So, and Hey, and if I get to run myself, run my mouth about myself even better. So <laughs> the best, dude, the best. So yeah, yeah. Whenever you guys want me on, just let me know. Yeah, man, it was great uh, catching up, and um, like I said, you know, we need to stay in touch more often. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm chained to my desk most of the day, so <laughs> yeah. give, give me, give me a call, and we can, we can complain about the good old days, <laughs> dude. 
That that's a show all in itself. Talking about the good old days, we did some crazy stuff. Oh yeah, the House of Ill Repute. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's that should be yeah that that would be its own episode. The House of Ill I Repute. Know. You could do I that know, as like could... uh, like an NPR style documentary podcast where we interview everybody who lived there. Dude, dude, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for joining us on AFK Discussions. Um, I'm your host, Jason, and this is my buddy, Ty. Yep. See you guys later. Brad, thank you so much for coming, man. Hey, thanks again for having me on, guys. It was a blast. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, also, you know, subscribe, like, give us, you know, a review, and make sure it's a five-star because it helps us out. And also, check out um, Reaper Apparel because... Those guys are awesome. They've been with us since day one. And if you go to their site, reaperrepair.com, you put in AFK discussions, you'll get 10% off. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Rip, rip, rip.